Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, as you hopefully remember, we began our study in Ephesians a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we had a kind of a break in between with our missions conference this last weekend. So I want to make sure that what we talked about last week or two weeks ago is connected to what we'll walk through this morning. Am I really loud? A little bit? I think I'm a little bit loud. Um. You may remember when we began, I told you that those verses 3 through 14 in that first chapter of Ephesians was one long 202-word sentence in the original Greek language, right? You remember that? And it was one single thought that Paul had in mind that he just almost didn't have enough breath to get all those words out to speak those things to us. And, and that thought was centered on the work of of the Trinity. It's really a, a story of our salvation. Chosen by the Father, saved by the Son, sealed by the Spirit. And he goes on to tell us that every spiritual blessing that we will ever know ultimately flows out of this undivided fellowship of the Trinity. Now there's something that I didn't mention last week that really is important to notice. If you would, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and let me show you <clears throat> what I'm talking about. And look at verse 3 with me, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, so that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Did you see it? All the plural pronouns that, that talk about what belongs to us, as a people of God. So what Paul is talking about here is our story of salvation. This is not just about what God did in my life. This is what God did in our life. How we became a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people after God's own heart. This is a story of the people of God. Now, this past weekend, I believe we saw a perfect example of what that looks like in real life. What did you see at our missions conference? You saw different people with different ethnicities from different parts of the world, from different churches, coming together for one reason. Chosen by the Father, saved by the Son, sealed by the Spirit. We came together as a people of God, and our lives are centered on Him. And, and when Paul writes these words, that's the heart behind them. And that's what we're going to walk through together this morning. So before we look at uh, the verses, let's go to the Lord in prayer and invite Him into our time. God, we really want this to be to the praise and glory of Your amazing grace. This is Your story. This is your plan of redemption before the world began. And we are grateful that you intended for this story to be our story. That you would work in our lives in such a way to make us your own. A people of God. Whose lives bring praise and glory and honor to you. So as we look at these verses this morning, give us wisdom and insight. Help us to understand what it is that you 
intend and desire for each and every one of our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, like I said, I wanted to make sure that what we started with two weeks ago is connected with what we'll walk through together this morning. So if I could, let me read again verses 3 through 6. This is what we did last time. But listen to what it says. Excuse me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to an adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. As Carrie said, before the world began, the plan of salvation was already in place. Before the day any of us were born, God decided to adopt us as his own. And he was motivated, as this passage tells us, by the kind intention of his will. It, it wasn't our behavior. It, he didn't do it out of, of frustration or, or obligation. His greatest pleasure is in doing our highest good. Our Heavenly Father so desires for us to experience all that He created us to be. His loving grace is what brings peace to our broken lives. He took the initiative to make us His own. He invites us into that life-giving relationship with Him. And, And when we trust Him, When when we believe in those truths, He gives us every spiritual blessing, everything that we need for life and godliness. And He who began a good work is faithful to complete it. What He starts now carries all the way through eternity. God wants us to be everything He created us to be. He is a good Father. We belong to him. That's who we are. (laughs) But that's just the beginning. Look at verse 7 with me. He goes on to say, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Man, there's a lot of truth in just that one statement. The thing that we need to understand is that God's plan of adoption could only take place through the work of Jesus Christ. And here's why. Let me try to explain this and and listen very closely. When we were born, the Bible says that we were sons of disobedience, children of wrath. Those are terms used to describe um, our family of origin, (laughs) used to describe the the family of sin that we were born into. A a life ruled by selfish desires. See, our lives were led by a deceiver who, unlike God, takes pleasure in doing harm. Our father was Satan. He made us false promises. He lied about God's character. And 
every single one of us believed him. Even when he promised to satisfy and always left us feeling empty, we kept coming back for more. It's like a a drop of water on the tongue of someone who is dying of thirst. It, It would never, ever satisfy your thirst, but it's just enough to want you to long for more. And that's what life apart from Christ looks like. Always longing for something more. Those drops of water... Maybe the promise of security through wealth. If I just had enough, if I could just make it in my career, in my job, and we had that security of wealth, everything would be fine. That's a false promise. The drop of water might be the promise of love through a relationship. If I just found the right person and and we lived together in in a loving relationship, then, then that would make life complete. It's a false promise. The drop of water might be the promise of finding value and success. If I can just accomplish uh, success in sports or, or in school or, or in career, if, if, if I can just arrive at a certain level, then my life will be complete. I'll, I'll be happy. That is a false promise. They may wet your tongue, but they will never satisfy your thirst. It's like that proverbial carrot in front of the horse. (laughs) The problem is that horse is being led to slaughter. Satan knows what his ultimate demise is. He just wants to take you with him. That's his goal. And that's the life that we were born into. But we also need to understand that none of this Everything I just described to you was not a surprise to God. He created us knowing that we would rebel against him. He created us knowing that we would be born into that family of sin. And so before the world began, the rescue plan was already in place. That plan centered on the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We are saved by the Son. That has always been the plan. In verse 7, it says that we have redemption through His blood. That word redemption is a word that's used to describe a, a payment of a ransom. Okay? And it's important to understand what that means and, and what ransom intends to communicate. See, the the payment of the ransom is is a price required to release someone from the ownership of one master to become the possession of another. That's what a ransom is. A price that is paid to release someone from the ownership of one master to become the possession of another. So in our case, as we hear this story, it's what it takes to be released from the ownership of one who intends to do us harm into the loving fellowship of one who intends to do us good. We are saved by the Son. But that transaction, that great exchange that we just sang about, 
came with a great cost. I want you to think about it in terms of relationships. So stick with me on this one. Remember, we were born sons of disobedience, children of wrath. We were born, in that sense, into a bloodline of sin. You've probably heard the saying before, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family, (laughs) right? Well, the same is true from a spiritual perspective as well. Since we were born into a bloodline of sin, we have no right to a relationship with God. It's a completely different bloodline. An entirely different family. A family that's defined by righteousness, not by sin. And since you were born into one, you cannot belong to the other. You belong to the one that you were born into. Since you belong to one, you cannot belong to the other. Unless God does something that we could not do for ourselves. And God did. That was the plan. He made a way through the blood of Jesus Christ. John describes it this way in his gospel. He says, To as many as receive him, receive Christ, believe in what he has done, to them, listen, he gives the right to become children of God. The right to become children of God. It's something that has to be given to you. Because remember, we were born into a family of sin. Each and every one of us is responsible for willfully choosing to go our own way. To live out our selfish desires. That essentially is the family trait of those who were born apart from Christ. Born into a family of sin. And that sin eternally separates us from a relationship with God. And there's nothing we can do to change it. Even God cannot give us the right to become a child of God until he does something about our sin. We are identified by our sin. It's kind of like our last name, right? It's the family that we belong to. It's our identity. It's who we are. And as long as we are defined by sin, We cannot belong to the family of God. And the only way to deal with sin is through death. The Bible clearly says the wages of sin is death. Hebrews goes on to say that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. That's the cost. In order to rescue us from sin's judgment, Jesus Christ had to take that judgment upon himself. When he died on the cross, in order to forgive our sins, he qualified us to become children of God. And when we believe, we belong to a new family. We have a new name. We are given a new identity. No longer enslaved to sin. We become a child of God. We are given the right 
to become children of God. We are adopted by God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. See, our redemption means, again, that we've been released from the ownership of one master to become the possession of another. To be released from the ownership of one who intends to do us harm. To become the possession of one whose greatest pleasure is our highest good. That's the transaction that took place. We are saved by the Son. And it is the only way to be rightly related to God. Look at how Paul continues. At the end of verse 8, he says, In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things upon the earth. I want to focus on those first two very important words there in the beginning that talk about wisdom and insight. And let's have some clarity on what those two words mean. Wisdom is the application of knowledge for skillful living. So it's more than just an accumulation of knowledge. It's more than just being smart, well-read, great information. It's the ability to take that information and apply it to your lives. To know truth and to be able to live that truth out. That takes wisdom. Insight is also the same word for understanding. It's really the skill of discernment. Spurgeon says it's the ability to know right from almost right. Ability to know right from almost right. Because every good deception is wrapped around a kernel of truth. And it takes discernment to know the difference between right and almost right. In my mind, it's an uncompromising conviction of absolute truth. So the grace that was lavished upon us includes those gifts of wisdom and understanding. Attributes that we do not possess on our own. It wasn't a family trait that we were born with. It was a part of our inheritance when we became a child of God. And it's an ongoing reality for those who believe. But we need to understand this. The exercise of wisdom and understanding in our lives is very much like the exercise of muscles in our body. (laughs) If you don't use them, you lose them. That's what I used to tell my patients whenever I would treat them after a procedure that they've had done, an ACL surgery. I would say, look, i got to tell you up front, it's not fair how fast you lose it compared to how long it takes to gain it. Because when you don't use those muscles, they atrophy. They lose their strength very quickly. And the same is true from a spiritual sense as well. Wisdom and understanding has to be exercised. It it has to be used in order to go stronger. We have to apply God's truth in in order to understand and grow in our knowledge of God's truth. There's a great verse that I think Paul prays for the Colossians. And as he does, I think he unpacks what that looks like when we exercise 
that knowledge and understanding in our life. Listen to what he says. You can turn there if you want. It's in Colossians chapter 1. It's a familiar verse. But I want you to think of this in terms of what it looks like when you exercise those gifts of wisdom and understanding in your life. This is what happens. It says in verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will listen here it is in all spiritual wisdom and understanding same thing right and then he goes on to explain what that looks like so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god and through that strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance and the saints of light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's what it looks like when you exercise the gifts of wisdom and insight. You grow in the knowledge of God, what it means to live righteously under the rule of Christ, understanding God's plan and, and purpose for your life, <laughs> giving you a, a new perspective, a, a new strength, a, a new hope, a new identity. You're no longer defined by sin. You're defined by life in Christ. And when you walk in that wisdom and understanding, you live your life in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, that gives praise to Him, and is steadfast in a hope that is certain and true. And you live on that conviction. You see, what Satan hid from us, God intends to reveal to us. Where Satan created confusion, in order to lead you astray, God wants to bring great clarity in order to lead you in the right way. We have been adopted into the family of God, rescued from sin, given freedom to walk in obedience to Christ, those good works that he prepared beforehand. And yet we all know the reality that Satan still wields a very strong power in this world in which we live. Just because we've been adopted into God's family doesn't mean that he quits in his efforts to deceive us. He no longer owns us, but I can assure you he fully intends to rob us, to steal our joy, to create doubt and confusion in our lives. And the only way to, to be protected from the, the lies of our enemy is to walk in the truth of our God. To exercise wisdom and insight so that we stand firmly in the conviction of what is good and right and true. Fix your eyes on Jesus. We are saved by the Son. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Let him lead us to the hope of salvation. Uh, let us long for that day when sin is abolished. 
We are part of the family of God. And one day, we will live in fellowship with our Heavenly Father for all eternity. Until then, we are to grow in wisdom and understanding of what the purpose and plan of God is for our life right here, right now. Look at how he continues in verse 11. Actually, ending in, at the very end of verse 10, it says, In Him, in Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will to the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of of his glory. God works all things in accordance with his will. Not some things, not a few things, all things. Everything is moving towards his predetermined purpose and plan. Kelsey and I were just talking this morning. <laughs> God is not up in heaven looking down on us and saying, oh boy, I hope they make that, dis oh, they made the wrong decision. Now my hands are tied. There's nothing I can do. That's absolutely not true. He can work all things to accomplish his good and perfect will. Our inheritance is protected within his sovereign control. Our hope is deeply connected to what Jesus Christ accomplished on our behalf. Let me give you an example in Scripture where we see that, again, Paul fleshes it out for us a little bit. If you want to, turn to Romans chapter 6, and I'll show you. We're hitting all my favorite passages this morning, so um, this is fun. But look at Romans chapter 6, verse 5. And, and I want us to read these verses within the context of what we were just talking about. And I want you to see how what we have is so deeply connected to what Jesus accomplished, okay? So begin reading in verse 5 with me. For if we have become united with him, with Christ, in the likeness of his death, here's what it means for us. Certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Did you see the connection of what was accomplished by Christ and what reality that means in our lives when we trust him? When Jesus took our sin on the cross, he broke the power of sin in our life. You are no longer a slave to sin. When Jesus was raised from the dead, we were raised to walk a new and different life. No longer a slave to sin. Truth is no longer hidden from our eyes. That mystery has been revealed through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God wants you to grow in the wisdom and understanding of his perfect will for your life. And as long as you trust him, he works all things together 
to accomplish that will. Live in the hope that has been realized in Christ. Know that what is true for him is equally true for you. And if that's what you believe, it should direct how you live and how you live will be to the praise and glory of his name by which you have been saved. Just think of what Jesus said when he was talking to his disciples. He said, let your light shine before men. Why? So that they could see your good works. Why? So that they could give praise to your Father in heaven. Those are the good works that he prepared beforehand. It's what the writer of Hebrews tells us when he says, lay aside every encumbrance in the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. And his story is our story. Fix your eyes on Jesus. But we're not finished yet because <laughs> the good news continues. Look at verse 13. In him, you also, after having listened to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of your inheritance with a view to redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. God had a plan of redemption before the world began. That plan was accomplished through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel that explains the amazing truth of our salvation. What it means to be a people of God. We were born into a bloodline of sin. We had no right to a relationship with God. But God made a way through the blood of Jesus Christ. He took the judgment that we deserved. He qualified us for an inheritance, delivering us from the domain of darkness, transferring us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the good news of the gospel. But I know in saying that, that there's probably not a person in this room who hasn't heard that over and over again. Most likely, there's no one that's sitting there going, that's new information. I've never heard that before. I feel certain you have. In fact, if you've been here for the last six weeks, you've heard it no less than six times. Because we say it every Sunday. It is the message we are called to proclaim. It's the hope that we live by. But I want you to notice something. <laughs> Hearing the gospel will not get you to heaven. It can't. He tells us, look in, in verse 13, in him, after listening, after hearing the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. Salvation is secure. The moment you hear and believe. In that instant, the scripture promises 
that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And the context that we've walked through already tells us exactly what that means. Remember, remember what redemption is. It's a payment of a ransom, a price that is necessary to, to deliver you from the ownership of one to become the possession of another. So the seal of the Holy Spirit is a mark of ownership. It determines who you belong to. It's God's way of saying, you belong to me. This one's mine. It's kind of like an artist's signature on their painting. It says, this one's mine. This belongs to me. In the ancient times, the, the king, when he would send out a decree, would take hot wax, drip it on the paper, take his ring, and, and push it into that hot wax so that it took a seal, a, a, an image of that ring, and that image declared that whatever was written there belonged to him. He owned it. It came with his authority. And the seal of the Holy Spirit upon your life is that same seal that comes from God and says, you belong to me. This one's mine under my authority, and nothing can change that. But here's the good news. It's more than just ownership. It's protection. Look at what he goes on to say. You're sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is given as a pledge of our inheritance. A pledge is a promise, right? When you say the pledge of allegiance and in, 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 in what we're supposed to do, isn't that a, a pledge, a promise to be faithful to the country in which you live? Isn't that what that's all about? Well, God's pledge is to be faithful to you for all eternity. That's the pledge of the Holy Spirit. It is a promise from God. The security of our salvation is based not on our performance, but on a promise from God. Isn't that good news? The pledge is a promise that the security of our salvation is not based on our performance. It's based on the security of a promise from God. It's like a down payment. It's like the first dollar of a billion dollar inheritance that says, here's the start, but oh my goodness, there is a whole lot more to come. The truth is, though, it begins now. We need to understand that our inheritance is not just stored up for us in heaven, the, the Holy Spirit is a down payment. It is, it is the first installment of much, much more to come. And so we are called to live out that promise right here and now. So how does that work? Well, we've already heard about some of that. We know that right now we are freed from sl the, the slavery of sin. It is no longer our master. That is true the moment you believe. But in our day of redemption... Sin will be abolished and it will be no more. Not only will it not be your master, it will not exist in the presence of God for all eternity. We know that right now, he calls us. He gives us the ability to grow in wisdom and understanding of who he is and his plan and purpose for our life. But listen to me, on the day of redemption, you will see him face to face. And every promise made we come true. Just like Spencer told us last week. 
No more promises after that because everything is realized in that moment. The promise is something yet future. In the day of our redemption, the future is now. Right now, we realize that we endure suffering because we live in a world that is not our home. And there is a deceiver who still intends to rob us, even though he no longer owns us. But we know that in the day of redemption, that suffering will be exchanged for a weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. That's a promise. We are God's possession. We belong to him. The security of our salvation is in his promise, not our performance. So grow in the knowledge of understanding what that means. Know that his spirit is a seal, a guarantee of our inheritance that begins now and continues into eternity. Walk by the spirit so that your lives can give glory to the one in whom you have been saved. Chosen by the Father. Saved by the Son. Sealed by the Spirit. That is the story of our salvation. It's an incredible story. So here's my question. How do you live in a salvation that is secure, a forgiveness that is complete, and a love that is eternal? Because if we say we believe, we are confessing those things to be true. So how does what you believe impact how you live? Let me give you three suggestions, and I do encourage you to write these down so that you can think about them this week, okay? Here's the first one. If your salvation is secure, if that's what you believe, then you have nothing to prove. If your salvation is secure, you have nothing to prove. I don't have to bear the burden of proving my worth before God. Why? Because God's love determined my worth. I'm worth enough that he sacrificed his son on my behalf. That's how much I'm worth. I don't have anything to prove because the scripture tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't have to show that I'm worthy. His love makes me worthy. And I live out of what he has said is true. I'm not motivated to obey in order to appease God as if I mess up, this big lightning bolt comes down and and destroys me. As if there's something that I need to do to appease the wrath of God. We need to understand that when Jesus took our sin on the cross, he took the wrath of God. And we are no longer under condemnation because we are his child. Forgiven and free. And so if my salvation is secure, then I have absolutely nothing to prove and everything to gain. So my goal is to live out of the riches of who I am in Christ. Our goal is to live out of the riches of who we are in Christ second one is this if our forgiveness is complete then we have nothing to hide if our salvation is secure we have nothing to prove if our forgiveness is complete if that's true if that's what we believe then we have nothing to hide 
this past week, I've shared this with you before, but there's a group of men that I've been living life with for about 20 years. And every year during that 20 years, actually we've lived life together for almost 30, but for the last 20 years, we get together at least once a year. And every year, this is what we do. We go through our journal and we make a month-to-month description of the highlights of things that happened in our life during that month. Things that we give praise to God for, but also things that we struggle in and places that we've failed. And during our time together, we go month by month through that timeline sharing every single detail of those truths, those things that are true about our life. And sometimes it's not very pretty. It's included things like, guys, one day I was driving down the road on a business trip, and I need you to know I took the exit to go to a strip club. That's what I did. And thankfully, I did not go in, but there's something that tells me that's not right, and you need to help me walk through that. There's been times when some have said, look, the other day, not too long before we came together, I was turning back the sheets of a bed with my wife as we were getting ready for bed, and it didn't happen exactly the way I wanted it. And I moved it, and I looked at her, and I said, deal with it, and walked out of the room. That's not right, and you need to know that about me, and I need you to help me walk through that because something's not right. My big takeaway this year was that as I shared my story, one of the friends, John Sharp, said a word, and I don't even remember the context of what he was saying to me, but he mentioned the word bridled, and it struck me, because I thought, that's it. I'm living a bridled life. We've had a difficult year in many senses, and so in order for me to cope with those difficulty, I have managed my emotions, and I've been unwilling to let myself be unbridled, to think of great joy, to be expectant of great hope because I'm afraid of being disappointed. But here's how I took that forward. If I'm managing my emotions, then chances are I manage my relationships. And that includes my relationship with God. So Lord, forgive me. for bridling my life instead of living a life in the freedom that you've given me. Living in the hope of the promises that you still do great things even in a sin-cursed world. I need to live with that hope and I need to be unbridled in my expectations of what that looks like in my life so that I don't manage my emotions and give myself freely to those around me. You see, if I've been completely forgiven, then i got nothing to hide, and neither do you. Christians are people of confession. Do you understand that? Christians are people of confession. And, And when we confess our sins, the Scripture tells us that He is faithful, and we are reminded that He has forgiven us of our sins and cleansed us of all unrighteousness. And He even tells us, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. And the reason He's telling us that is because when you harbor sin in your life, you're living outside of the identity of who you are in Christ, and you're following the lies of the enemy, and it will destroy marriages, families, careers, 
So don't be uh, bridled by that, that, that false truth. Live in the freedom of your forgiveness and confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed and experience the fullness of what God has promised. If you are forgiven in Christ, you have nothing to hide. And then lastly is this one. If God's love is eternal, then we've got a lot to learn. If God's love is eternal, then we've got a lot to learn. See, the love of God is fully revealed in the life of Christ. So if you want to know what that looks like, then you need to know Him. And the more you walk in fellowship with Him, the more you know the love of God. So don't forfeit your inheritance. And when I say that, don't hear me say, lose your salvation. We've already made that clear, that that's not in your hands. That's in the promise of God. But we can forfeit the inheritance by uh, living on a pension when we've been made a millionaire. Staying in the ghetto when we have a mansion. You understand where I'm going with this? You have to understand the fullness of what we have in Christ and live accordingly. Why would you want to hang out in the old neighborhood where sin rules and reigns when you've been given the freedom to live in Christ where sin is no longer your master? Old things have gone. New things have come. You're a new creation in Christ. Live accordingly. Knowing Christ helps you understand the love of God. So walk in fellowship with Him. Let me, we're going to cover this verse eventually, but let me finish with this, and I want you to look at it with me. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. This will be real fun when we get here, but I'm going to give you a little taste of it uh, this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, and this is what I believe is intended to communicate what it means to live in that love that is eternal. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives his name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever, and if you believe it, all the saints would say, Amen. That's it. I hope that what we've been able to walk through gives us an understanding of what we've been called to. You're chosen by the Father, saved by the Son, sealed by the Spirit. And so if you've been forgiven by Christ, you have nothing to hide. And if God's love truly is eternal, then you've got a lot to learn and understand. If your salvation is secure, you've got nothing to prove. So live in the reality of what God has made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ and sealed with the promise of the Spirit indwelling your life. Let's be the people that God has called us to be. Amen? Let's pray together.
Lord, I think we could spend every day for the next year unpacking every truth that is in those amazing words. Really, that one 202-word sentence that Paul spoke originally. I pray that we are captivated by those truths to the point that even throughout this week as we are going about our daily routine and activities, we just can't shake it. We can't stop thinking about what it means to be chosen by the Father. To, to know that that plan of salvation was in place before the world began. That before we were even born, you have intended to adopt us as your own. And to pay that price that was necessary, that very costly price of the blood of Jesus Christ. So that we may be released from the ownership of one master to become your very own possession. And to ensure that we understand that that's true, you've given us the seal of the Holy Spirit of promise, a pledge that says this one is mine for all eternity. And may we live now in the inheritance that is given to us that begins and never ends. And may we encourage each other to walk in faithfulness to the praise and glory of your name. Amen. Have a great day.